Well, uh, this morning our passage is going to be found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn there. We're going to be flipping to different sections, just an upfront heads up for you on that as well. There are several passages we're going to be looking at this morning that relate to the direct scripture we're looking at. Uh, 1 John obviously has been a phenomenal book in our lives. We We're walking through that, took a break for a period of time as the Job series was taught and communicated, and then uh, now we've returned to it, and it's actually been very good, today's passage in particular. Remember when I was little, I mean little, little, kindergarten, first grade, my parents would just ingrain some things in us, some warnings. Uh, One of the warnings was, uh, don't cross the street without looking both ways. Another one of the warnings that they gave us was don't talk to strangers. Not the same type of don't talk to strangers that Rick Springfield sang about in the 1980s in his hit song, but don't talk to those you don't know. And so as a first grader in the early 1970s, I was walking home by myself. Yes, that actually did happen in a safe way in the 70s. Got home, was was on my way, and and about four blocks or so uh, from home, I heard out of the left side of my ear, hey, would you like to have a ride home? And automatically, my words, uh, the words of my parents rang in my ears. I took off running home, sprinted, got home, told my mom what happened, scared to death, panicked. Somebody just asked me to get in their car. Well, who was it? Well, I don't know. I didn't look. Well, a few minutes later, a phone rang, and one of my parents' friends said, we just drove by We saw Darren, asked him if he wanted to get a ride home, and he screamed, basically, and ran home. So uh, my mom told me in that, uh, that they actually were friends, and if I ever hear that voice again, that I'd be happy to jump in the car with them and ride along. Uh, Obviously, I still didn't do that, but uh, anyway, scared scared to death. I appreciate my parents' words, their warnings that came to us, uh, my sisters and I. It actually protected us. We took heed to what they said. Well, do you remember the song... Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. That's a little kid's Christian song. It's been around for a while. Uh, the concept of it is for kids to be careful about what they allow to come into their ears, their eyes, their lives, where their feet would go, the things that they would touch. All that is involved in that song. I don't think intentionally the author meant for that song to communicate the Father is looking from heaven down on you with love. Meaning that he's looking at you and you better be careful because if you sin or if you mess up, you're going to get thumped. I don't think that's what the author intended or meant, but you could see how someone could see that or hear that message that's being communicated. Obviously, the Father from heaven looking down on us or at us with love is something that we hold dear to. We do see that. We do appreciate the fact that he is all-knowing, all-present, and that he is with us for followers of his, uh, unlike our parents are able to. Our parents knew that there would be moments where they wouldn't be able to see us or hear from us directly. But of course, the father does. He knows. He sees. And so that's one of the characteristics of being a follower of Jesus. So why am I talking about this song? Well, because it's the title of today's message. Oh, be careful, little eyes what you see. John, in addressing the church, talking with them about this group of individuals who 
had at one point been integrally involved in the life of the church, who at some point got off, began teaching falsities, began grasping and embracing things that were not true of Jesus and his character. And as a result, because they had long-standing relationships with these individuals, they began to consider, well, maybe this is true. The core truth that he's talking about today that was being compromised, that John is going to address in these verses, was that these individuals were saying Jesus was not fully God and fully man. John reiterating with them, I knew Jesus, I walked with him. I was a part of the experience of him living, dying, rising again, the ascension, all of that. I had direct contact with him, and Jesus was who he said he was, fully God and fully man. And so these false teachers that have infiltrated the church, <clears throat> these individuals who, uh, those who were a part of it still knew longstanding, were being compromised, and there was, there was danger. And so John was addressing that. We're going to see this morning that behind every propositional statement, if you're not certain what that is, it's a statement stating that either something is true or false. Behind every propositional statement is a spirit, and that spirit needs to be tested by Christ. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to pray, and then we're going to start walking through 1 John 4, 1 through 3. But let's pray together first. God, we say thank you for this morning and we thank you that you are ever-present, always present, all-knowing, all-powerful. And that for those of us who have a relationship with you, that we surrendered our lives, we follow you, that we have access to you at any moment, and that you do continue to work in our lives, changing us like yourself. God, you've called us to some pretty specific things, and one is to be holders of your truth. And so I pray that this morning as we look at these verses that you would challenge our hearts, help us this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read uh, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the first verse, let's read that one more time, and let's, let's, let's consider why John's asking these questions. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John is posing these questions, posing this warning for followers because he was recognizing that they were not taking into account the truth of Scripture, the truth of who Jesus was. And so he began to address them, challenging them to consider taking every thought captive in essence, telling them, challenging them that we have to know what is truth and what is not. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, uh, Paul reminds us not only of our call to follow Jesus, not only our importance of the relationship and spending time 
with him and dialing down in that area, but also that we are constantly engaged in spiritual warfare. We have to recognize where these spirits are, are coming from ultimately. So he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, so what does he mean when he writes that? He means that we, as followers of Jesus, again, he's writing to the church, addressing the church, need to take every thought captive, everything that we see, everything that we hear that is called and titled truth. We need to measure against not only the the, the spiritual warfare pieces that are existing, not only taking those thoughts captive, but also Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we, as followers, are called to have spirits of discernment in the process of trying to measure or see what is truth and what is not, And the measurement that we use for that is God's word. We have to be vested and invested in his word to be able to recognize what those things are. If not, and we're disconnected, more than likely, we will hear these things that are taking place, what people are saying, what we're seeing, and we'll accept everything, basically, as truth. And then we'll find that we've got some issues in our lives related to that. We need to be discerning, taking those thoughts captive, measuring them against the very word of God. We see in verse 2, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So the nature of these false teachings that were infiltrating the church was actually that. They were saying Jesus is not fully man and fully God. Only partially. And so John was calling it out, saying, no, he is fully man, is fully God. Again, him personally having encountered, spent time with Jesus, seeing all of that, was trying to give a personal testimony that what you're communicating by saying he wasn't fully both is absolutely false and wrong. You need to change. And we see in verse 3, This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So we could spend a lot of time, I mean months and months, looking at Revelation about what the end times are going to look like, what's coming. I mean, we we can read a lot through that, not only found in Revelation, but there are some Old Testament books also that really focus in on the end times. And we could recognize some things. This is what I would say about that. We're not going to spend time, much time today dialing down in that area. 2,000 years ago, when John wrote this, he said the Antichrist has been approaching and actually now is here. He knew for his life that the time was short, believing that Christ could have returned even in his day. How much closer are we now, 2,000 years later, to the return of Christ? Now, I don't know if he's going to return in our lifetime or not. It sure seems as if there are some things that are happening that would point towards that. But the only one who knows the day and the hour exactly is God. And so we continue to press on with faith 
and trust, recognizing who he is, but recognizing the times as well. So this aspect of of spiritual warfare is is present. We're going to look at Ephesians 6 in just a moment. So if you've got your Bibles, you can already turn there. We're going to read through verses 10 through 20. But before we do, uh, let's just role play a couple of things. Saturday afternoon, early evening, two nicely dressed ladies approach your door. Hey, we're here to talk with you about Jesus, and we've got some literature we'd love to give you. Oh, great. You love Jesus, too? That's terrific. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, is Jesus God? And they say, well, he, he's from the Father. Uh, well, but is he, is he God? Well, he's divine. Yes, but, but is Jesus fully God? Then they would say, well, he's a God. Then you understand in that moment. You can take your literature. I appreciate it. You can share a, a verse of salvation with them, pointing to who Jesus really is. And the individuals from the Jehovah's Witness organization uh, will leave your porch. Let's do another one Saturday night. Two nicely dressed gentlemen show up on your door. Hey, we've got some literature for you. We love Jesus. We want to talk to you about him. Sure, let's talk. Who, who, is, uh, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Same line of thought. He's from God. He's, he's divine. And then you get to it. Is Jesus fully God? And they say, well, he's the firstborn of God, and he has a celestial wife. You recognize Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints in that moment. Thank you for stopping by. You can take your literature, share a salvation verse, and on they go. You can see that if we are not immersed in God's word, when people come up and they say they're of the same position and background, if we are not prepared and ready for that, we may believe the lies that are coming from individuals, groups of people, wherever the source is. Uh, Growing up, fourth grade, there was a couple that was really involved in our church my parents' age, really sweet people. I mean, I can still remember facial expressions, relationship. Uh, very valuable. They'd been at the church longer than we had, and so also both uh, fairly new believers, known the Lord for about four years at that point. Well, they were taking a trip to Utah. Again, this is the now early 80s, and they wanted to go see the the temple. So uh, being young believers and and not knowing a lot of the word and a lot of the background at that point, because there still wasn't very much out there about what was happening with all the different organizations that were claiming the same things. Our pastor had long conversations with them to try to prepare them. Uh, Their friends, including my parents, tried to talk with them. My parents, baby believers at that point too, trying to talk with them and and urge them possibly not to make that a side stop for their trip. They ignored all of that, decided to go ahead and go. Well, they did, came back. Within about three weeks or so, The wife uh, believed and read all of the material she received and began to believe what they were teaching. The husband didn't. And so we saw this conflict in their marriage because one was believing the lies of a cult. The other was continuing to follow Christ. And what eventually happened, the two divorced, moved in different places, 
and I don't know that she ever returned to Christ. Uh, Of course, I haven't had contact with them for a long time, neither of my parents, but it illustrates the point that we need to be prepared, spending time with the Lord, and even if people are friendly and nice and we like them, And they say they love the same Jesus with whom we know of what the Bible says of who he is. Even if they say that, it's possible they may not. We've got to guard our hearts and guard our minds, especially when engaged in conversations with them. Uh, Heartbreaking what happened with that couple, uh, with my parents' uh, relationship there. And believing that if we ever get to the point where we say ourselves, I will never. I think we've all made I will never statements, haven't we? I will never do this. I will never believe that. Uh, Then we are opening up the opportunity potentially for the enemy to seep in. Better phrase is, by the grace and mercy of God, I will never. And then we continue to cling to him, realizing that it's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that empowers us, not our own flesh, not ourselves. And so to make the I never statements is, is fairly dangerous. By the grace and mercy of God, I will never. So the first point today is that behind every propositional statement is a spirit. Again, a propositional statement is claiming something either to be true or false. The truth is, based on who Jesus is and what the word says of him, specifically related to this issue that John was addressing, he is fully God, is fully man, and right now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That's the real picture of who Jesus is. The resurrected Jesus is and by whom we gain life. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth of it is, Jesus is the only way to a relationship with God for eternity to spend with him, which begins at the moment of salvation, this relationship with him. There is no other way. If there were, Jesus would be a liar himself And we should have all slept in today. The reality is, he is who he said he was. And he does change lives. He changed mine. He changed yours. So this idea of spiritual warfare, this concept, and we're going to spend the majority of the remainder of our time looking at that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We see a real picture of where this engagement takes place. Do you remember those books? And I was reminded last service by Frank Peretti, uh, This Present Darkness. You remember those? Late, early 90s, late 80s, those came back. It was um, This Present Darkness, and there was another one. What was the other one? What is it? The Oath. The Oath. Okay, that was another, yeah, that was another one that he wrote. Um, Specifically talking about the spiritual warfare that takes place that we can't see. And if we were able to see it with our eyes, all of us, would fall cowering to the ground because we couldn't handle or manage the entirety of the spiritual warfare, the battle that takes place in these unseen ways of God engaging warfare for us and real enemies that come against us. I need to reread those books. There is a battle. And so in the process of that, Paul in this book of Ephesians writes what we are to do as followers of Jesus in our engagement with the world Again, looking at discerning spirits, but now we're looking at the warfare and the battle that takes place with that too and what we're supposed to do. So let's read verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this reminds us, whether it's a conversation on the porch with someone who addresses us and says they love Jesus and there's something different, or whether it's husbands, wives, parents, kids, friends, whatever that looks like, our battle when we have conflict, and listen, we've been in COVID, stay at home 11 weeks. Surely there's been at least one moment of conflict for you. Uh, maybe not. You may be better than our family. But there have been in ours. And if we were able to recognize, and as we read earlier, to take every thought captive where that battle really was, we wouldn't have been like this. That verse, those verses remind us that our battle is not against people. It's against the principalities and rulers of this dark world because what happens when our enemy Satan, when we cave to the flesh instead of being in the spirit, right? There's, there's a constant war that takes place. When these wolves, these individuals who come in and try to integrate falsity into truth of who we are as followers of Jesus, when they begin to have a voice and we begin to get disrupted and we have battles or things that happen between each other, which takes place, who wins in those? I mean, ultimately, the devil is still trying to beat Jesus. <laughs> he knows he's the victor. He had the victory at the cross, raising again. But he still tries to disrupt, discourage, dismantle Christ, Christianity in general, knowing he's the winner, but trying to deceive people to the point where they don't think he is or we forget he is, and then we begin to, to cower in this position and we begin to go at each other instead of really attacking where we're supposed to attack, which we'll see in just a moment in prayer for one another. The best picture of the church and of Christ practically lived out is the husband and wife who love each other the way that we're called to. That is the best picture to the world, believers and non-believers alike, of what the picture of Christ of the church is supposed to be. So why wouldn't the enemy step in and attack husbands and wives? Why wouldn't he try to disrupt a family system? Why wouldn't he try to wreck a church? He's going to do that. He's going to use everything he can to try to make it a distraction, to get us off track, to forget. <clears throat> Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God so you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. So we've got our belt on. If we don't have our belt on and our pants are too big, what happens? They fall around our ankles, we try to walk, and we fall on our faces, right? So we've got to have the belt of truth. It's an important piece for us. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that protects all of our vital organs, including our heart. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So our call is to share the gospel. We've got to actively be doing that as we go. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So we can put that in front, and it extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then we take the helmet of salvation. We put that on, which protects our minds in Christ Jesus. The sword of the spirit, which is an offensive weapon, which is the word of God. Our other offensive weapon, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, 
Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, what part of our lives are not covered? Our backs. So what do we do? As followers of Jesus, we go back to back. We battle together. Then it's covered. That is one of the key importances of us having people who love Jesus, who are walking with him in our lives. I am sure you like the phrase, and I love it. When somebody says, hey, Darren, I got your back on this. What that shows me is my unprotected, compromised part of my life, my back, is taken care of by somebody who loves Jesus too. That's how we're to battle. We need one another. If we don't have people in our lives like that on the same page, we're compromised, we're at risk, we're in trouble. Second, every propositional statement made must be measured by Christ, taking every thought captive, investigating the word, talking to those who know Jesus to make sure that we're on the right track. And the best litmus test probably of that, if it would not come from the mouth of Jesus, realistically, it's not truth. Do you see Jesus saying, it's a fetus, it's not a baby? No. The moment of conception, baby, even before the name is known. Do you see Jesus saying, sexual expression, whatever you want? No. There are clear guidelines in God's word about how we're to approach that area in the marriage context, man and a woman. You get the point. If Jesus wouldn't say it, probably doesn't measure up to the standard of God's word and, and what is truth. We need to recognize those things and lovingly stand against those as we share the gospel and hold them out. All right, let's, let's wrap up. A couple of things. Verses. Uh, there have been some in this period of time that fear has just absolutely um, almost been a bullying point where you've seen the posts and you've heard the things that have been out there and a lot of those individuals who have really driven that have done it for personal gain. One guy in particular wrote a book, and at the end of all of his pieces said, hey, buy my book. It's terrible that somebody would utilize something like this for financial profit or gain. We know as followers of Jesus, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. We also know, which we're going to study in a couple of weeks, 1 John 4, 16 to 18, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So we're not called to cower in fear. The flip side of that is we are called to submit to the authorities above us. Some have said that this time period has been direct persecution against the church. I don't see it that way. If it was just the church that was isolated and they said we could not meet, yes. Revolt. 
but the fact that it's affected every business in America worldwide as well and the church, we had a responsibility to give a good testimony to the leaders who are above us who put these things in place to follow what they've asked, just as every business owner has had to do. So I don't see it in that light. I don't see it in that way. We also, in being called to love God first and loving people and loving our brothers and sisters as he would, have a responsibility in that way, especially for those who are health compromised, to express love in a way that we've never been asked to before. Thus the masks. Thus the distancing in the room for a while. Because we so love God and because we so love people, we're just willing to do it, whether we agree with it or not. That's you guys. Everybody who's here today is doing that. That's our call. Because we hold value the people around us more than we hold even our own life. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. Here's the call to commitment. Again, this has been a challenging period for every church, every leader. Uh, Not just in uh, the realm of church, but that's where I'm categorizing it. What do we do? Where do we go? How do we function? What do we... And so on our faces individually and together, we have sought the Lord as a leadership team. Did we make every right decision? Did we make a decision that everyone agrees with? No. In the last week, would I have agreed with every decision you made? Probably not. I know you wouldn't have agreed with mine in the last week. That extra Twinkie, probably not. (laughs) But in spite of that, in spite of our differences, We press on together for the sake of the gospel because of his call in our lives individually and corporately. And we continue to strive in that way regardless of differences unless, again, it becomes one of these core things that is not truth that we're communicating is. It's a different issue. But the non-essentials, the things that we do, loving God, loving people, we continue to press forward together for the gospel, setting our own preferences aside praying for each other diligently on our faces before the king. I mean, really engaging in spiritual warfare for each other. If we're doing that, it's making a difference in the lives of those you're praying for. The Bible says it is. If we're not, then we're missing an area of our lives that God wants for us. And it's possible that there's some foundational pieces of who we are in Christ that need to change. More of him, less of us. More on our faces, less of this. Right? Let's pray.